Well, turn with me in your Bibles to 1 John chapter 4. 1 John chapter 4. We are on the fourth Advent candle this morning, and we're going to talk about love. Now, we live in a culture that is obsessed with the idea of love, uh, maybe especially this time of year around Christmas time. Maybe you're like my wife and that you're a sucker for those terrible and cheesy uh, Christmas romance movies that come around this time of year, like the made-for-TV movies. Uh, they're absolutely horrible. They all have the same plot. Uh, but... They're always about love. And think about the best-selling Christmas songs. I mean, you can't walk in a store for longer than five minutes without hearing, all I want for Christmas is you. Or even worse, Last Christmas. Uh, the worst Christmas song ever written. Um, up there with Little Drummer Boy. Here's why Little Drummer Boy is bad. Uh, Little Drummer Boy is bad because I've been, I've had two newborns before. And you know what the last thing I wanted was? A drum solo. Listen, so, but that's beside the point. The point is this time of year, especially, we love the idea of love. And of course we do, because as human beings, we're made in the image of God. There's a theological reason for this. We're made in the image of God. That means we're created to be like God, to reflect him in the world. And the text that we're going to study this morning tells us that God is love. In his very being, it's essential to who he is that God is love. And yet this God who is love has made us to be like him. So of course we should have this desire both to love and to be loved. But the problem is that we're sinners. Other than that, we're fine. Uh, but the problem is that we're sinners. And because of our sin, we have bought into a cheap substitute called love instead of the real thing. And as I hope you've noticed this theme throughout this sermon series, as we've talked now about hope and about peace and about joy, and as today we're going to talk about love, that the dictionary that our world is using is not the same dictionary that God is using when it comes to these terms. Biblical love is much different than what our world calls love today. What our world calls love is something that is almost exclusively an emotional experience. It is all about the feelings. We use phrases like falling in love is something that happens to us rather than something that we do. We fall in love when we have some sort of mysterious emotional experience. And this is why modern definitions of love have very little to do with commitment, with sacrifice, or with action. It's all about physical attraction, warm, fuzzy feelings, Valentine's Day cards, and cheesy romance novels but the Bible gives us something so much better than that. You see, in scripture, love is much more than just some emotion that comes and goes. Love is a self-sacrificial commitment to act on behalf of others. It includes these ideas of commitment, that I am here for the long haul, no matter what, for better or for worse. It includes the idea of sacrifice, that I am willing to give of myself and my resources for the good of this person, even if I expect nothing in return. It includes the idea of action. It's more than just a feeling I have, but it is something that I do. I act in love. And to be sure, it leads to emotion. It leads to feelings. Those are included, but it's not exclusively that. It's not just an emotion. It's such a richer concept because biblical love can act lovingly towards others even when I'm not feeling it. So in light of all of that, here's the million dollar question for you and I this morning. 
as sinful people living in a broken world, how can we ever experience this kind of love? Where can we find a love like that to receive? And how can we learn to love like this? This is where 1 John 4 verses 7 through 12 come in. I want to show you this morning, and here's the main point, that we should love one another because of how God has loved us in Christ. We should love one another because of how God has loved us in Christ. When you are secure in the love of God through Christ, you are free to love others in a way that reflects that love. So with all that in mind, church, let's read these verses together. 1 John 4, verses 7 through 12. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love has been perfected in us. Let's open with a word of prayer. Father in heaven, we rejoice in your love this morning. Lord, amazing love, how can it be that you sent your only son into this world to pay for our sins? Lord, we love you and we worship you this morning. And I pray, Lord, that as a result of this message, you would show us how we can love one another in a way that reflects the love that you have for us. Father, open up our hearts and minds to receive what you would teach us through your word this morning. Help us to learn what this means and apply it to our lives for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. So if you look at the structure of this paragraph, verses 7 and then verses 11 and 12, so the bookends of this passage are exhortations for us to love one another, and the middle of the passage gives us the basis or the reasons for those commands, namely God's love for us. So I want to take an Oreo approach to this passage of Scripture this morning. What do I mean by that? If you give my three-year-old an Oreo, guess how she's going to eat it? She's going to take it apart and she's going to lick the cream off first and then eat the cookies. That's what we're going to do this morning with this text. We are going to study the verses in the middle first to learn about what God's love for us is like. And then when we understand that, we're now going to go back and eat the cookie, so to speak. We're going to talk about loving one another. And there's a reason for that. We can't understand how we should love one another until we understand how we've been loved. Our love for one another is the overflow of receiving God's love for us through Jesus Christ. Let's start with talking about God's love for us. Let's start with the second half of verse eight. Verse eight says, whoever loves has been born of God. Oh, that's verse seven. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. Let's talk about that phrase for a few minutes now. God is love. This is one of the most famous three-word statements in all of scripture. God is love. But what does it mean? It means that love is an essential characteristic of God. It means that love is not merely something that God does. It is something that he does, and we'll get there in a minute. But more fundamentally, it's who he is. Love is an essential attribute of God, characteristic of God. It is an essential part of his being, who he is. But what does it mean when we say that God is love? 
it does not mean that God merely has a loving disposition. Doesn't mean that he's just a nice guy. Doesn't mean that he just wants us to be happy. It means something so much richer than that. We could spend the whole sermon here, but I just want to give you two things about what we learn from the fact that God is love. So first of all, because God is love, meaning that love is an essential aspect of God's character, who he is. One thing we learn from that is that God himself is the very standard and definition of what love is. If you want to know what love is, you have to ask the question, what is God like? God's very character and will, as he has revealed it in scripture, is the definition and standard of love. And here's why that rubs up against our culture, because a lot of people are fine with throwing around that phrase. Yeah, God is love. God is love. I believe in a loving God. And that's great. I agree with you. But here's the deal. You haven't thought through the implications of that statement. Because if God is love, guess what else God is? He's holy. He's just. He's righteous. And he has defined holiness in his word. So are you following the logic here? If God is holy and God is love, that means love is holy. That means that whatever we call love must be in accordance with the word of God. So let me get right to the point this morning. We don't get to call love what God's word calls sin. We don't get to use the word love to justify sin, but rather genuine love because it reflects the character of God must also be holy. This is one fundamental reason why our culture's definition of love is a cheap substitute instead of the real thing. Because genuine biblical love is a holy love. But I want to give you one more thought here as it relates to God is love. And here's the deal. We're about to jump into the deep end of the theological pool for a few minutes. So, you know, buckle up, get ready. Don't fall asleep. We have plenty of coffee if you need some more. Uh, but I want to do like a four minute theology lesson here because I think this is so important. If we're going to understand what love is and how it's grounded in the character of God, we need to talk about the Trinity. What is the doctrine of the Trinity? that there is one God, one being, three persons. So one God, three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That means within the very being of God, there has always existed a relationship of perfect love. Think about what Jesus said in John 17, 24. He said, Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me. Why? Because you loved me before the foundation of the world. Think about that for one second. Before creation, before anything existed, the Father loved the Son. The Son loved the Father. The Spirit loved the Father. Just keep going around. There has always existed within the very being of God, a relationship of perfect love. So when we say that God is love, we can say that because he has eternally loved another perfectly. That's incredible. No other faith can say that. If you don't have the Trinity, only Christianity can say that God is love because he has always perfectly loved another. But let's take that one step farther. Let's think about the love that God has for his children. Let's think about the love that God has for us, for those who are in Christ. You know what the Bible says? The Bible teaches that God set his love on his people in eternity past. Let me put it this way. God didn't just fall in love with you one day. It's not as if you were born, you were growing up, God saw you do something cute and went, oh, you know what? Now I love you. I made up my mind. Now I love you. Oh, and actually now I'm not so sure, you know. No, God has always loved you. 
That's incredible to me. Look at Jeremiah 31.3. This is what the Lord says of his people. I have loved you with an everlasting love. Now, by the time Jeremiah is writing, I don't know how much you guys know of your Old Testament history. Israel has not been that lovely (laughs) up to this point, to put it mildly. And yet he says of them, I have loved you with an everlasting love. From eternity, I have loved you. And on that basis, therefore, I have continued my faithfulness to you. Because I have loved you with an everlasting love, I'm not giving up on you now. One of my favorite quotes outside of the Bible is this. It's by a Dutch theologian named Gerhardus Voss. He said, the surest proof that God will never cease to love you is that he never began. Can you think about that for a minute? God never started to love you. He's eternal. He knows you and he loves you. So why should you care about all of that theology this morning? Why is that relevant as we're talking about loving God and loving others? Here's why. Because when we love others, we are reflecting what God has done from all eternity. This is the ultimate reality in the universe, the God who is love. And we are invited to reflect that love in our lives and in our relationships. So love is grounded in the character of God. But next, love is manifested in the gospel. It's both who God is and what God has done to save us. Love is manifested in the gospel. So 1 John 4, 8, John says God is love. Verses 9 and 10, he shows us how God loved us. So verse 9 says, In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. It says that God sent his only son. A really fascinating study for you would be to read through the gospel of John and circle every time the word sent is used. Give you a hint, it's used over 40 times to describe what the father did. The father sent the son. It shows the initiative of the father in our salvation. As an overflow of the great love that the father had for his children, he sent his son into this world to save us. And the gift of the son is the evidence of the father's love. And you guys know this. It's the most famous verse in the Bible. You want to say it together? For God so loved the world that what did he do about it? That he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. He goes on to say, he didn't send his son to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. This shows us what love does. Love gives. That is the action of love. Love is by its very nature giving. God so loved the world that he gave, that he gave his most precious and perfect gift, his one and only son. God did not just write us a card, didn't just write us a song. He didn't just give us vague sentiments about his love. He gave his best. That's what love does. And in this verse, as we're talking about love being manifested in the gospel, I think there are two aspects of the gospel in which we see the love of God. The first is this, love is manifested at Christmas. Love was manifested at Christmas. So it says in 1 John 4, 9, that God sent his only son into the world, into this world that God so loved, he sent his son And remember, we just talked about the Trinity a minute ago. The son, the second person of the Trinity, Jesus Christ, he's the son of God. He is God. He is the perfect, holy, righteous God. At Christmas time, what we're celebrating is that he took on humanity. 
that he took on a human nature, Jesus Christ, fully God, fully man. I mean, just think about this for one second, that God became a baby, that he grew up and eventually he was a toddler running around, then a child, then even a teenager. That God became a human being. That is the miracle of Christmas that we're celebrating. And why did he do it? First John says, so that we might live through him, that we might be saved. Guys, this is why we celebrate Christmas. It's not just about the lights and the carols and the gifts and the Santa Claus and the whatever else. It's that God became a man and entered into this world and everything changes. So love is manifested at Christmas. But John is going to go on to tell us that love is manifested at the cross. Love is manifested at the cross. 1 John 4.10, and this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. So in the next week, as you look at a nativity scene, whether you have one in your home, whether you see one on the side of the road when you're driving by, I want you to think about something when you see the manger. I want you to think about the fact that the manger was the first step on the road to Calvary because that's why he came. He came in order to pay for our sins on the cross. Why did he need to do that? The Bible teaches that you and I and all of humanity, that we're sinners, that we've rebelled against a holy God, that we have lived only for ourselves. And for that reason, what we deserve is God's wrath. What we deserve is God's judgment, his punishment. And so Jesus came into this world, according to 1 John 4.10, to be the propitiation for our sins. That is a really important word we need to talk about. What is a propitiation? Some of your translations might say an atoning sacrifice. The idea behind propitiation is a sacrifice that turns away wrath. Jesus Christ is our propitiation. He stood in our place on the cross. In my place, condemned he stood. He bore the wrath of God in our place for our sins so that we could be forgiven. And this is how we see God's love, both that he sent his only son to bear the ultimate punishment and that Jesus Christ willingly received it. This is the heart of the gospel, guys. A God that is so holy that sin must be punished and a God that is so loving that he would stop at nothing to rescue his children. You know, there's a, a quote here from the Puritan theologian, John Flavel, and he tells this, he has this hypothetical, it's fictional, um, conversation between the father and the son before creation, talking about the plan of redemption. And, and this story really moves me. I want to read this to you. The father says, my son, here is a company of poor, miserable souls that have utterly undone themselves and now lie open to my justice. Justice demands satisfaction for them or will satisfy itself in the eternal ruin of them. What shall be done for these souls? The son says, oh, my father, such is my love to and pity for them. Then rather that they shall perish eternally, I will be responsible for them as their guarantee. Bring all your bills that I may see what they owe you. Lord, bring them all in that there may be no after reckonings with them. At my hand, you will require it. I would rather choose to suffer your wrath than they suffer it. Upon me, Father, upon me be all their debt. But my son, if you undertake for them, 
You must pay the last penny. Expect no discounts. If I spare them, I will not spare you. I am willing, Father. Let it be so. Charge it all to me. I am able to pay their debt. And though it will undo me, though it will impoverish all my riches and empty all my accounts, yet I am content to undertake it. Church, in this is love. In this is love. That Jesus Christ willingly bore the wrath of the Father on behalf of all of our sin, past, present, and future, that we might be forgiven. And here's how this applies to us today. Maybe you're walking through a difficult season of life right now. And this time of year can be hard. I've talked to a lot of people and people are struggling, man. It's a difficult time of year. Maybe you're suffering and maybe you know on an intellectual level, you know, you grew up in church, you listen to the sermons, you listen to the songs, you know up here that God loves you, but it's really hard to believe it down here on a heart level. It's hard to believe that God loves you because you look around and you say, my life is a mess. If God loves me, then why is all of this happening? Or maybe you look at your own heart and you know your own sin. You know the sin and shame of your past. Maybe even the present, you know the sins and the temptations that you wrestle with right now. And you're like, there's no way God could love me. Let me tell you something this morning. If you want to know how much God loves you, Don't look at your feelings and don't look at your circumstances. Look to the cross. Look to the cross. Look to the length to which God went in order to demonstrate his love for you. That he would stop at absolutely nothing. That he sent his perfect holy son to be the propitiation for our sins. That is love. That God from all eternity knew how much we would mess up. He knew how much we would fail him. And yet he looked and said, I am going to save you. And I will stop at nothing. That is love, church. That is love. So now that we have just a slightly better understanding of the amazing love that God has for us, and I I say slightly because we're going to spend all eternity reveling in this love, and we're going to barely scratch the surface. But now that we have a better understanding of the amazing love that God has for us in Christ, I think now we're ready to eat the cookies. Now we're ready to look at the bookends of this passage and talk about what it means for us to love one another. Let's talk about our love for one another. First thing I want to show you this morning is that our love for one another shows that we know God. Our love shows that we know God. Look at verse seven with me. Beloved, let us love one another. For love is from God, means it finds its source in him as we talked about. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. So has been born of God. You probably remember the conversation between Jesus and Nicodemus in John chapter three, where they talk about you need to be born again. It's the same idea. What he's saying is that the love that we have for one another is the evidence that we really have been born again. The evidence that we really have been transformed, brought from spiritual death to spiritual life. But I love the phrase and knows God. He's saying our love for one another shows that we know God. And of course we know this in the Bible and in our own lives. We use the word know in two different ways. But on the one hand, it can just mean I know a fact about something. It's just intellectual. But know can also be relational. 
means I have a relationship with you. So in one sense, I know Tom Brady. I've been watching him play football since I was like seven years old in about 30 to 40 years when he considers retirement. You know, I'll, maybe one day I'll get to meet him. Uh, but I don't know him in the sense that I've never met him. I don't have a relationship with him. But the best way to think about the other kind of no is my favorite Christmas movie, Elf. Uh, so when Will Ferrell is in the department store and he hears that Santa is coming, what does he say? Santa, I know him. And what he's saying is I was kidnapped as a baby and then I was raised in the North Pole and that's why I now dress like an elf. Spoiler alert, I'm sorry if you haven't seen it. What he's saying is I know him. I have a relationship with him. I've spent time with him. That's what the word know means here. He's saying if we love one another, it demonstrates that we know God, that we have a relationship with God. In fact, it's the clearest proof that you know God. Our love for one another is what demonstrates that we are Christians more than anything else. Take Jesus's word for it. John, John 13, Jesus said, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. And according to John, the negative is also true. Look at verse eight. He says, anyone who does not love does not know God, does not have a relationship with God because God is love. And in case he wasn't clear enough, he circles back to that in verse 420. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. It's pretty clear. <laughs> Let me put it in even more clear terms. If you don't love other people, you're not a Christian. That's what this passage says. He says, if we don't love our brother, you're not a Christian. He says, you're a liar if you hate your brother. Love is the defining characteristic of what it means to be a Christian. And it demonstrates that you have a relationship with God. But next, our love for one another shows that God abides in us. Look at verses 11 and 12. John says, beloved, if God so loved us, we are also to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. And so first of all here, he says that if we love one another, God abides in us. And, you know, we studied John 15 last week with Pastor Andrew. And we saw that this passage about the vine and the branches, what is it that Jesus says over and over in this passage? He says, abide in me. That is dwell in me. It's the same idea here. He says, if we love one another, God will abide in us. God will dwell within us. He will strengthen us and empower us as we seek to love one another. And I love that because here's the deal. We need God's strength in order to love other people because it's hard, right? It is hard to love other people. It's hard because of our circumstances. You know, I'm having a bad day, so I don't feel very loving today. Some people are just hard to love. I know because I'm one of them, right? We all are one of them. It's hard to love other people. We need God's strength within us in order to be able to love other people the way that we have been called to. The last phrase of this verse, it says, and his love is perfected in us. That word perfected in the original often speaks of something that has been brought to completion, something that is fully grown, something that has come to its intended goal or outcome. I like to put it this way. When we love one another, God's love has come full circle. 
as we receive God's love and we love others and we are loved by them, God's love for us has reached its intended purpose or goal in our lives. And I love, he, he just mentions briefly, verse 12, no one has ever seen God, but love is the way that the invisible God is made visible through our lives. So now that we've looked at this text and we've seen this exhortation to love one another, up to this point, it's been pretty high level. It's been pretty theoretical, but I want to bring it down to earth. What does it actually look like in our lives to love one another? Is it just some sort of attitude that we should have, a general disposition of the heart? Is it just a sentiment that we need to express from time to time? You know, I've talked with people who are like, I love this person, but... You know, nothing ever good comes after the butt, by the way. Just letting you know. I love this person so much. Listen to me gossip about him for 10 minutes, right? Like that, that's usually what happens here. It, it, because as Christians, we, we everything I've said today, I don't think any of it's new to you guys. If you've been in church for a while, like duh, we know God loves us and we know we're supposed to love other people. We know that. So it's really easy to give lip service to it. It's really easy to say, yeah, I love that person. Or yeah, I love that person or whatever. But what does it actually look like for us to actually love others? Let me tell you, to love another person is to self, is a commitment to self-sacrificially do what is best for them. It is a commitment to self-sacrificially do what is best to them. It often comes at a high cost to us. It often leads to emotion, but it is not restricted to emotion. And let me give you a few practical ways that we can love one another. At a foundational level, we love one another by refusing to do anything that would bring them harm. We got to start there. Of course, love is more than that, but it's not less than that. It's a commitment not to harm others. This is what Romans 13 verses 8 through 10 says. Owe no one anything except to love each other. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, or any other commandment are summed up in this word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. So he's listing several of the Ten Commandments here. And he's saying, if you would just love your neighbor, then you would fulfill the Ten Commandments. You wouldn't even have to worry about the Ten Commandments if you just love them. Why? Because if you loved them, you wouldn't covet their stuff. If you loved them, you wouldn't lie to them. If you loved them, you wouldn't physically harm them. If you loved them, you would not commit adultery with them, so on and so forth. If you loved a person, then you would always act in their best interest. If you love a person, you wouldn't gossip about them. If you love a person, you act for their good, not for their harm. So this is the starting point. Of course, love is more than that, but it's certainly not less than that. When you love someone, you refuse to do anything that would bring them harm. But next, we love each other with our words. We love each other with our words. Think about how much time we spend speaking on a daily basis, communicating to other people. You have thousands of opportunities every single day to love other people with your words. Are you taking advantage of that? Do we use our words to tear down, to gossip, to manipulate, to try to get our way? Or do we use our words to encourage, to edify, to build up, to express love and gratitude and appreciation. People should leave conversations with you feeling encouraged and refreshed and filled with joy, not exhausted, not frustrated, not feeling like they just got verbally beat up. 
use our words to love one another. But it's more than just not hurting people and saying nice things to them, but it's also action. We love one another with our actions. If we see a person in need and we are in a position to meet that need and we do nothing about it, the Bible says our love is useless. 1 John 3, if we were to back up in 1 John, this is what it says. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. This means that means that we give sacrificially. You guys remember uh, John 3, 16. What does love do? Love gives. God so loved the world that he gave. And so in the same way, so love your neighbor that you give. Love is by its very nature, giving of ourselves, of our time, talent, and treasure for the good of those around us. And finally, we should seek to love one another with a pure heart. What does it look like to love with a pure heart? It looks like 1 Corinthians 13, you know, the wedding passage. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. That's just a snapshot of this is what genuine love looks like. Love that is coming from a pure heart. And so if you ever ask the question of yourself, am I being loving? This is the best litmus test there is. Look at this text and ask yourself the question, is this describing me? I've heard some preachers before suggest this as an exercise to do in your devotion sometime. Go through this passage from 1 Corinthians 13 and replace the word love with your name. Replace the word love with your name. Nate is patient. Uh, if you've ever seen me in traffic. Uh, Nate is kind. Again, see, see traffic. Um, and see, you go through this, and by the time you get to the end of it, you're depressed because of how messed up you are, uh, like me. And then by the time you get there and you're depressed because of how far you fall short, go through it again. But this time, replace the word love with Jesus. Jesus is patient. How do I know that? Because he puts up with me. Jesus keeps no record of wrongs. How do I know that? Because he remembers our sins no more. He doesn't throw our past back up in our face to accuse us. That's what the evil one does. Jesus is all of these things perfectly. And by faith in him, with him abiding in us, we really can begin to live this out. We really can begin to have a love that is patient and kind, a love that is not envious or boastful, so on and so forth. This is what perfect love looks like. So let me encourage you. Who should I love first? Start at home. Start with the people who are closest to you. If you're married, love your spouse. You have kids, love your kids. Love your parents. Love your siblings. This starts in the home. Love your family in this way, in this kind of self-sacrificial, loving, committed way. Move outward. What about your work? Love your coworkers. If you're a boss, love your employees. Love your boss. Love those in the workplace and let that be a testimony to the power of the gospel in your life. What about the church? Let's make Coastal Gloucester the most loving church in this community. I believe it already is. I know I'm biased. But let's continue to grow in that. 
Let's be a church that is known for our love as we love one another in this church family. Can I give you a really fun one? Love your enemies. A wise guy once said that. Love your enemies. Love those who persecute you. Pray for them. Love those people that you cannot stand. Seek to find ways to practically and intentionally love them, showing love to them. Because here's the deal. You are never more like God than when you're loving your enemies. Because what did God do on the cross? He loved his enemies. He loved his enemies that much. that He gave the ultimate sacrifice for them to turn enemies into children. And so church, let us do this. Let us pursue this with all of our hearts. Let me give us two final takeaways this morning and we'll close with singing. First takeaway is this. Let me exhort you to receive God's love in Christ. Receive God's love through Christ. Listen, we love love. We've talked about it all morning. And there's a reason why the best-selling movies and songs and books all tend to have some sort of romantic component. We are hardwired as people made in God's image to desire to be loved and to love. And there's a reason why we're suckers for love stories. You want to know why? Because the universe itself was created in order to be a theater for a love story. You know, the Bible is a romance novel. That's the whole plot. It's about a king who came into this world to rescue his bride. One pastor I know defined the story of the Bible this way, kill the dragon, get the girl. That's what the Bible's about. He came into this world defeating the enemy in a self-sacrifice to himself in order to rescue his bride. We're hardwired for this church. That's the gospel. And let me tell you this morning, when you turn to Christ, you receive the love that you were created to enjoy. If you're here today and you're not a Christian, I wanna remind you that every other love that you will turn to will ultimately disappoint you and can never finally satisfy you. You know, Pastor Andrew said this last week, but your house can burn down. The person you love can die. Your job can be lost. Your money can be lost. And as we've seen with all of these themes of Advent, whatever you put your hope in, whatever you look to for peace, whatever you look to for joy, and now finally, whatever you look to for love, if it's not Christ, it can and will ultimately let you down and can't satisfy you. The love that we were created to enjoy is the love of God through Christ Jesus, our Lord. And how do you receive that love? By turning from your sin, by believing in the gospel, by receiving Christ into your life as your savior. Receive that perfect love this morning. And if that's you and you wanna talk about that, you wanna pray about that, I'm gonna invite our prayer team to come now. We're gonna have prayer team members up at the front who would love to talk with you, who'd love to pray with you, who'd love to tell you how you can receive God's love through Jesus Christ this morning. I've got one more takeaway this morning with that. I wanna invite the band to come back. And I think you could probably guess it, right? Love one another. I don't think I've said it enough in this sermon, so I'm gonna say it again. Church, love one another. That is what we're called to. There's an early church father named Jerome from the fourth century. And Jerome told a story about the apostle John. Now, of course, the story is not in the Bible, but I do think it's fascinating to hear about the lives of the apostles from another early source. When John was really old, so old that he couldn't walk anymore, his disciples would actually carry him into the gathering of believers on the Lord's day. And every week they would carry him to the front of the congregation and he would say the same thing. 
he would say, little children love one another. And I would think like, man, you've written several books of the Bible. Like, dude, you even wrote Revelation. Tell us about that. You know, he's written so much stuff and there's so much he could say, but he just keeps saying, love one another. And you can tell that his students felt the same way because finally they said, why do you always say this? John replied by saying, because it is the Lord's command. And if this only is done, it is enough. Guys, it really is enough. Love one another. In fact, let me make life very simple for you. Love God and love others. Everything else will fall into place. We worry about so many things. Focus your heart and mind on loving God and on loving others and everything else will take care of itself. This is what we are called to. It really is enough. I want you to start thinking about as Christmas is a week away, this very week, how can I love someone this week? How can I commit myself self-sacrificially for someone else's good this week? How can I love someone? This is my prayer for us, church. As I've already said, what I want more than anything else for this campus is that we would love for one another, that we would be known for this, that people would come in and they would see our love for one another and they'd say, man, I want in on that. That's the kind of community I've been searching for my whole life. That's what I want more than anything else. And I believe we already are that. And I applaud you guys. My exhortation is let's keep going and let's keep growing. Let's grow in our love for one another. Let's close with prayer. Father, we thank you for the incredible love that you have given us through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Lord, we don't deserve it. Lord, we're sinners. We've rebelled against you. We don't deserve it, yet you have loved us with an everlasting love. Yet you stay faithful to us today. You love us with a love that is patient and kind. So God, we love you and worship you. I pray, Lord, that by the power of your Holy Spirit in our lives, you would help us to genuinely love one another with all of our hearts. Empower us, Lord, strengthen us. We love you and praise you. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Let's stand and let's close with singing this morning.